thank you that every promise you have ever made that you've kept lord and we know that everyone we read in your word that you will keep lord you you are a promise keeper lord and we're so thankful for that that you are always faithful even when we're not um lord we just pray that you would be with pastor matt as he comes forward tonight and um, teaches us about worship in your word lord and, and what it should and shouldn't be and we pray that every time we come um, before you in worship lord that it would be pleasing to you so we thank you for these things, and we pray in your name. Amen. Please greet one another. Good evening. Can we try that again? Good evening, everyone. Good evening. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, so glad you're here with us uh, on a Wednesday midweek study. I always say it's our diehard folks that come out midweek. I love it. Uh, please open in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to continue where we've left off right around verse 15. If you don't have a Bible... Please raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring you a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and again, one of the ushers will bring a Bible. Everyone got a Bible? 
Good, good. All right, so we're going to continue where we've been. We've been talking uh, as the Lord's been directing us. Moses at this point is still up on the mountain. He's received the pattern, right, of what will be in the tabernacle. And as he's up there, uh, God turns to Moses, overhearing everything, proving once and for all that we cannot escape uh, in our inner thoughts, in our motives, our hearts, our desires, whatever, from anything from the living God that way. He sees, hears, and knows everything we think and do, right? So if you've ever wondered uh, in the most odd places, uh, you know, in the shower perhaps, and you're praying and you're wondering, Lord, are you hearing me in the shower? Oh, he's hearing rub-a-dub-bub in the tub, right? He's, he's hearing it all. So, you know, praise the Lord for that, uh, that he always hears us and he, he never relents. And I thank Jesus for that. And so as we look here tonight, um, we're going to watch as Moses comes down the mountain. This is a really crucial text. One of the texts that actually in Calvary Chapel at Shepherd School, we focus on with a lot of our young men that are, you know, believe they're being called to ministry. It's one of the passages uh, we'll go through uh, because it talks about what real praise and worship should look like. And obviously an example of what we're going to see here in a moment of what it shouldn't look like. And we're going to see and study, uh, hopefully this evening, and I pray God, um, you know, that I have the right words as I speak, that I don't get emotional uh, in my feelings about this, because uh, it's one of the things that I think uh, we've seen a lot in the days we're living in the church today, where a lot of times you can come into a church and through emotionalism or through a rock concert in some capacity, you can be driven by your emotion, by your feelings, and next thing you know, you're, you're really not praising God, you're really dancing to the music. You know, you, have you ever seen that or experienced that? And uh, it, it can happen. I mean, I, I often use the example of a child. You can play music for a child and not teach them how to dance, and what do they naturally start to do? The wiggle, right? They start to do the wiggle. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Because God created us to be worshipers, to be those that praise the living God. So it's, it's built into us. It's who we are. But I love, ex, you know, expanding and studying this because hopefully tonight, some of you, as we, maybe as we take a rake through this time, maybe you haven't looked at it from this perspective in how God basically goes back and says, look at what they're doing down there. And the very first thing that they're doing is engaging in sexual immorality. And they're doing it with music and they're dancing and they've made, quite honestly, an a party that way and it grieves God's heart and he sends Moses down there and he says you tell the people to stop what they're doing that's not worship he created them to be worshipers and what's worse yet is we led where we left off is Aaron had built what an altar to do what to worship the golden calf so I think it's important as we study this tonight that <clears throat> Remember, God created us not to be worship leaders, but to be lead worshipers. Are we the first in the line to lift our hearts and our praises to the living God? Amen. So let's bow our heads in prayer. And um, I should also note, I'd like, you know, us to take a moment to also intercede for Ruth Ann Moody. She's in right now having back surgery. Um, so we want to just be praying. Uh, I know some of you are saying, boy, she's in surgery again. She's just had such a tough go here. Um, and we know that our God is faithful and that he will get her through this. And we pray that, you know, she will just even right now receive his mercy and his compassion that way and give wisdom to the doctors. So we'll be praying for also Jennifer McEvers 
she, uh, you know, she had a surgery and she's back um, at the hospital today because she was having pain and they believe it may be, um, it could be something with her appendix. So on top of everything else, she's back there and obviously Kevin, uh, you know, their family's back in California. They're, they're sojourners like many of us are. They're back here, so please be lifting them up. And then someone very near and dear to a lot of us in Calvary Chapel, uh, Pastor Tony, um, from Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes, he he runs the school ministry. Well, God runs the school ministry. He he gets he gets the pleasure of uh, and privilege of, of opening the Word of God with the students. He um, he's going to be going through some radiation now. He probably wouldn't want to I mean, mention all that, but you know what? Uh, we all need prayer, and he needs prayer right now. And I, he called today, and I got to chat with him. And just such a great saint. For those that get to know him, or if you've ever met him. Uh, he's up at Shepherd School. The guys that have gone up there and met him can't say no. He's just a soldier for Jesus. So we need to, we just need to lift him up too. So let's bow our heads and we'll pray over and ask God to just be with us in our presence. Father God, we come before you right now, Lord Jesus. Lord, empty out anything that's of us. Anything that's in our hearts, Lord, that's not right, not with you, not right, li right living, Lord, not righteousness. We want purity, Lord. We want more Jesus. Bless us, Lord. God, we pray for those that, Lord, I've already mentioned, we intercede for our brothers and sisters for just a miracle, a supernatural healing, God. Lord, that even right now as Jennifer's at the hospital, Lord, you give wisdom to the doctors. As Ruth Ann's there in surgery, Lord, you give wisdom to the doctors. Bring her out of the surgery. Well, pray for Tammy and the, the whole family there, Steve and, and just Ray, Lord, her husband there. And God, we lift up uh, Tony to you, Lord, our brother. We love him. We just pray, God, that all will go well and it'll go quickly, Lord. And, Lord, he'll be back with his two-step again here, Lord, and oh, just serving you in all the ways. He never slowed down, God. He's always kept his eyes on you, Jesus. What a great example, just like Paul. Uh, God, we just thank you for these men and women in our lives that we have the privilege to intercede for. But, Lord, we, we do pray for them. We pray for their families. God, we thank you for all of this, Jesus. And we know that, Lord... Nothing is impossible for you. All things are possible for the living God. So we just lift this to you right now in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So if you look in your Bibles, verses 15 is where we'll begin. It's where we picked off, left off, excuse me. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on, written on both sides, and on one side and on the other they were written. Now, the tablets were the work of God. That's important because we'll see, contrasting to that, the next set of tablets will be the work of Moses. But these are the work of God that way. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets, his very fingerprints. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear, the sound of worship. So Moses and Joshua hear the people in the camp that while Moses was up on that mountain receiving the beautiful pattern of the tabernacle that would be God's presence of where he would dwell amongst his people, the people were due down basically at the bottom of that mountain creating an idol of made of hands, worshiping that, and then proclaiming that to be the God that will then take them into the promised land. How far 
They have fallen so quickly, 40 days and 40 nights. It hasn't been long. We need to be mindful of that because it doesn't take long for us to get off that narrow path, does it? We can have the right ideas. We can have the right motives, the right intentions. We could even spend time with the living God. But if we're not walking with him, if we're not in his presence, if we're not reading his word, it's amazing how quick we can convince ourselves. And yet we are so far from him. Later on, we'll read in the word where God will say about the people of Israel, you, you're, you speak of me with your lips, but your heart is so far from me. So far from me. So Moses, I mean, talk about a glorious time with God. I mean, I can't imagine what this was like. Until we get to heaven, we, we can't possibly imagine have the presence that way and interrupted, if I could say that way. That's what it was. It was an interruption, a distraction. In the midst of this, this great idolatry, Moses and Joshua come to, a, you know, an end of this extended time on Mount Sinai. And he had in his hand the two tablets, right? It says the two tablets of the testimony that were written by the hand of God. You know, these tablets were the work of God and the writing, it says, was the writing of God. I think it's significant that it's written by God that way. Can you imagine having tablets in your possession? You know where I'm going to go with this, don't you? Can you imagine having tablets in your possession or being carried by the direct hand of God written for you? Everybody look down. You have it. You have the living word of God in your hand. His fingerprints are all over this. And when you spend time in this word, his fingerprints are all over you. You come away changed. You come away different. You come away renewed. Amen? Renewed, refreshed. And under the new covenant of Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, which I understand in the context, is written to Israel. And will be fulfilled when Israel cries out one day and receives Messiah, Yeshua, as their Lord and Savior. Yes, that will happen. Israel is not done with in the Bible. The Bible teaches Israel is very much alive and well and they are God's chosen people today. And that hasn't changed and will not change. But it says in that promise, if I may read that quote to you in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33, I will put my law in their minds and write it in on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is the new covenant that God has established with Israel. But guess what, friends? This is the very covenant he's established with you and I. These words written to Israel, we are living and experiencing today. I will put my law, the word, in the minds right? I will write it in their hearts. We talk about how God writes it and seals it on our hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. We are the people of God. We're his children, the Bible teaches. Well, verse 18, if you've been following along, I mentioned, you know, this idea of noise there a little bit. I read it, but that word in the Hebrew is kol or keol. It's one of the first recorded examples in all of scripture you have right now of audible worship being heard in the Bible. 
right? And it, conna- it connotates or it, it signifies or means sounds of instruments. Uh, it can also mean yelling, you know, com- you know, singing that way, loud voice. But this was not worship, right? I mean, it, yeah, there was singing and dancing, but it wasn't for God, was it? No, this, this is pagan idolatry, what you see before you. And music being played to, to do, um, to jar the emotions, if I can say it that way, if you're with me, to jar, to stimulate. You know, I, I sometimes use the word like soap. You know, you take soap in your hands and you lather it up and you begin to create more and more lather and more and more lather. Often music can do that. It's why it's so important. Uh, what kind of music do you listen to? What, what, what music is stimulating your heart? Your mind. Remember, God says he's going to put what? At part of the new covenant, he's going to put his word where? In our minds, in our heart. What music are you allowing to run through that grid and to also run in your heart, to play in your heart that way? This is pagan idolatry. And, you know, we don't have too many young people here tonight. They're in the teen group or elsewhere. I can say exactly what it is. What's going on here is a sex orgy. That's what we have here. Why do we know that? Because we know of the pagan idolatry practiced back in Egypt and the temple in the areas. That's what they did when they would cry out to pagan gods. So, I mean, do you see in 40 days and 40 nights how quickly Israel, a church of 2.5 million people roughly, can fall? It, It just reminds me in humility to never think I've arrived to never be overconfident, to, to never say, I won't do this. You know, I remember my pastor, Pastor Scott Gallatin, he once stood up uh, and during the teaching. He's, he's obviously standing, so forgive me, he's standing. But he turned around and he looked out and he said, you know, I would never put it past myself to do something that I would not ordinarily do. You know, he, I don't think he came out right, frankly, and said I'd murder or kill because I don't think that's his heart or intent. But he says, I would never say never because you don't know in the heat of a situation whether you would truly always react Christ-like. We'd like to think we would, and we will. But there comes a certain pride in saying that. I think the more humble thing to do is to say, God, I don't know what I would do, but I know that when you're in me and with me, I will be quiet until you tell me to speak. And Lord, when you move my hands and my legs... I will move according to your will. What are we doing then? We're taking it off of us and we're putting it where? On God and his strength and his power. Not on our capability. We're, we're finite, aren't we? He's infinite. And I know some of you are thinking, boy, I would never do something like that. Do, do I need to remind anybody here the divorce rate? Do, do I need to remind anybody here the, the amount of adultery that's committed every day? In this world? Look at Exodus chapter 15, if you would. Please turn back a few pages. Exodus chapter 15, we're going to look at verse 20. You might remember we covered this, the song of Miriam. She was Moses' sister. She was around 90 at the time. Um, We believe somewhere there, you know, well, actually, she would have been younger than that, come to think about it. But, but she, was, she was Miriam the prophetess. And if you look at verse 20 there, you'll see here, it says, And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her, and the, trimbles, and the timbrels, and with dances. 
Do you, do you see that word timbrel there? It's the modern word we'd use for tambourine, okay? What, what do we see going with that? When we see timbrel and we see what? She, we see dancing, singing, right? That's what we see there. So, so it's not out of line. It's the same word in the Hebrew that we just read a moment ago, right? We just read that a moment ago. And I'm pointing that out to say that it's the same. Now, I think it's important here. And, and I, yes, I have a, a presupposition on this, but I think it's because God points it out. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 28. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28. So as you, you turn there, this is interesting. This is a beautiful passage. I mean, I wish this passage wouldn't have to be written specifically about the king of Tyre, which is really a, a type for Satan himself. And if we look at verses 11 through 15, if you allow me to read this to you, I, I, I almost assume everyone will come to the same conclusion here. But, but allow me to read it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, came to Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a prophet. He was in part of the Babylonian captivity in that time, right? The son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now, when he's speaking this, he's, it's a typology. You'll, you'll understand this. We make through it. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, now that got real. We know it's typology at this point because we know there's no king in Tyre at that point that was physically there. There was only three people, four people counting the Lord himself and obviously the Trinity in that. But who was in the garden? Adam? Eve? Satan? Lucifer, right? Full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Now you know why they say that Satan is beautiful. He's not what people think. People think, you know, he's got the red tail costume on with the pitchfork. And, and he says, no. He, he portrays to come as an angel of light. Well, how can he come as an angel of light if he wasn't magnificent and beautiful the way God had already created him that way? But his pride destroyed him. His pride brought darkness and evil. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, burl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your, notice he says your, timbrels. What is that? We just read about that. It's in the Hebrew. We read that earlier. What was that again? A tambourine. What did Satan do in heaven? Well, we're going to keep reading. And it says, and pipes, speaking of a wind instrument. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to get more to that. It was prepared for you on the day you were created. On the very day Lucifer was created, he was given these instruments and it was going to be part of his work. Very interesting. And what else was he? Is he, is he a seraphim? Is he a, is he a cherub? Well, let's read. It tells us, you are the anointed cherub who covers. He was in the very presence of God. 
not one of the, you know, there's ranking of angels in angelology. If you study it, he was in the very presence, in the very throne room of God. His closest that way, right there, covered in the most beautiful stones. The, what more could one want as a created being, as an angel that way? And what did he do with those instruments? Look at them. No, he did what? He played them. He was a worship leader. Satan, Lucifer, was a worship leader, and he was the first worship leader. He's a created being, and he was created with these. God says, God, on that very first day, you were created. He says, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. He says, but until, until what? Until iniquity was found in you? Until you allowed your pride, as Isaiah, it says in the book of Isaiah, he declares it five times, I will be like the God most high. It doesn't take long, friends. You could be standing in the very presence of God. If your heart is not right before the living God, no different than Lucifer as a created being, you could begun to think of yourself, I know better than God. I'm going to be like God. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, to think about that, that you could be in the, the majesty of the throne of the living God of the universe, standing before his very presence, and yet still in your heart have the capacity to contrive evil through pride, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I think that's a warning for all of us. We can all learn from this. So turn back in your Bibles to, to Exodus there. Why did I bring up the point that Satan's the worship leader or happy to be a worship leader there, right? You know, I think because a lot of times when we look at the stimulating of the flesh and the body into movement, music and lyrics can have a positive or a negative. And I do believe that God created us to be worshipers at heart. Throughout scripture, I believe we see that. But we were never intended to worship the flesh, but to worship God in spirit. You know, like I said, you ever put music on for a baby? You don't have to teach them how to wiggle. And I can remember, you know, Parker's not here, I'll embarrass him. I can remember when he was a year old. I'd put something on and out would come the wiggle, man. And he'd start wiggling and, oh, you know, Lisa and I used to sit back and at his first birthday party, we put the music on and we had it at a basement hall, like a basement area where you just put tables out and had family in, put the music. He didn't care who was there. That wiggle was coming out. Man, he was, he was getting, you know, I, I love that. That's why, you know, when I come into church and I, I love that we all have the privilege to worship here. Sometimes I, I, I see people. And, and they want to worship God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and they're being moved, and they're in the spirit, and it's all right. They're worshiping the living God. It's good worship. It's, it's right. It's praise. And the hands start to go, oh, 
And the hands start to, whoa. And, and it's like they're afraid to just lift up their hands and praise the living God. Like somebody's going to come by and go, you know, what's going to happen? We're lead worshipers. And, and I also laugh sometimes when, you know, there's somebody in the back there clapping, right? Like I'm not the guy to set the, you know, I used to play drums. I, I shouldn't be setting the, the, what am I looking for? The beat, the rhythm, right? You know, but there's always somebody that starts that and other people are like, you know, we are allowed to be moved in the spirit. We can worship. God has allowed that. We're not to be doing cartwheels, man, taking flags and running up and down and carrying on in emotionalism. We're not to be lathering it up. But genuineness in our heart, to be praising the living God, he's created us to do that, hasn't he? There's nothing wrong with that. There's some churches that won't allow music to be played. I, I don't understand that. God, he created music. He created the wind instruments. He, he created all of it. But here we're going to see that people are being enticed into sin. And, and I, if I could say it this way, now you know I'm a little bit guarded about the, the music and the words that are, are done. That's why it's so important that, you know, Jenny leads the worship there, you know, great worship team. But they're cognizant. Every single song brought before you, they've prayed over. They're looking at the words. We're talking about it. So, not often. I don't need to do as much. But in the beginning, every song Jenny was going to, she would send it to me. And she said, Pastor, will you look at this? And I'd look at it. And I said, Jenny, you're, you're great. You're, you're, this is beautiful. This is all but, but the heart, her heart, was she just wanted to be pure. She wanted to do it God's way. And she wanted accountability. She didn't want to accidentally oh, oh, miss something. Any one of us can. And it, it's beautiful and it's pure that way. But, you know, as Moses is going to demonstrate here, the pastor's the, cern, the senior worship leader. It's slightly something different we do at Calvary's. We, we don't have a senior pastor that leads worship and a senior pastor of the church. no. The pastor's the senior worship leader. He's responsible for making sure that the worship that's going on is praise. It's praise-based. It's not, it's not emotionalism, you know? Because praise is the object, object of our worship, isn't it? Praise is the object of our worship. We, we need to make sure we get that right because if we don't, we're going to end up right where Moses is coming down that mountain. And the conversation he's going to have. And it's going to get pretty heavy in a moment. Look at verse 19 here. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So, you know, he sees it right away. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf, which he had made, burned it in fire and ground it into powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people, Moses said to Aaron, yeah, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Now, why was Moses looking at Aaron? Because he had left them in charge. You know, what does an under shepherd do? We've been covering it in the book of Acts if you're with us on Sunday. The first thing, he feeds them. What's the next thing he does? He leads them. What's the third thing he does? He protects them. That's what an under-shepherd does. 
So what do we see here as we exegete verses 19 through 21? Well, first of all, Moses' anger became hot, it says, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them. You know, I would suggest to you Israel broke those tablets because they broke the covenant by their idolatry and immorality with the golden calf. Now, I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, whether Moses was like, you know, everybody's looking at him, he's like, you know, boom, and the tablets go down. Or maybe we know Moses had a problem with anger. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Maybe he just, you know, chucked them. Moses didn't write those tablets. Those were the very fingerprints of God written on the front and back, which, oh, by the way, was not common at that time. Typically at that time when you had a tablet, you wrote only on the front. They didn't write on the front and back, right? But God did. God did that. But I don't know, maybe breaking the tablets was synonymous with the fact that Israel broke the covenant. Maybe that's the object lesson here. Maybe a visual picture or an action sermon, if I can say it that way. Moses certainly had to deal with anger much of his life, right? In anger, what did he do? He killed an Egyptian, Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In anger, he broke the written tablets, right? Written by the finger of God. And, and in anger, he's going to beat a rock that God commanded him to speak to in Numbers chapter 20, verses 10 and 11. And it was an anger that kept Moses out of what? Going into the promised land. Please pay attention. Guard your emotions. Guard your thoughts. Guard your actions. I, I'm, I'm just looking at the results here. And in verse 20, it says, He took the calf which they had made, and he burned it with fire and ground it to powder. Now, a couple things I want you to notice besides the you know, powdery milkshake here. A couple things I want you to look at is that the idol had been an object of worship, right? Yet, when he turns around and destroys it in the fire like that, and he grinds it, nobody challenged him. Did you notice that in the word? We don't see anywhere that anybody challenged Moses for destroying it. If a man can destroy your God, it's no God at all. Amen? If a man can destroy your God, it's no God at all. And I believe all of Israel knew it. This is what I was saying earlier when I, when I talked last Wednesday. There's no confusion here. Of is, is Israel wise to what they do? Oh, they're very wise. They know they had crafted it with their hands. And, you know, Aaron was very proud of it because, you know, it's got his fingerprints on it. There's no deception here. And then he made the children of Israel drink it. I think he maybe did it for two reasons, you know. First, to draw Israel into the attention because I, I imagine it tastes bitter. To remind them of the consequences of their sin. There are always consequences to our sin. And to make the gold of the idol absolutely unusable. Because no longer could it be re-pulled together in a pool and remelted and reused. Right? It was unusable, being corrupted. Verse 21 says, What did the people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? You know, obviously Moses challenging Aaron. And I think this is a good question. Moses understood that uh, this plan didn't originate with Aaron, right? God had already told him that. If you remember last week, we read that. But he allowed it and he implemented it. He's saying, how could this happen? And we're going to read verses 22 through 24 to pick up on um, Aaron's excuse. So Aaron said, do not let your anger 
of my Lord become hot. You know the people, they are set on evil. That's what a good leader does, blames the people. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us as for this Moses, the definite article right there, for this Moses, that way the Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I, and I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it in the fire and this calf came out. It just happened, man. Now, we're going to talk about this because we all still do this, by the way. We're going we're gonna to talk what, where this kind of no responsibility or accountability kind of comes in, this, this lie, excuse. Aaron essentially asked Moses to kind of calm down. He's his brother. Remember, Aaron's Moses' brother. Bro, don't be so angry. We're overreacting. Why are you acting this way, right? Aaron had no understanding of the greatness of his sin. Do you see that here? He has no comprehension, uh, understanding that way. He had no reverence or fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And what is wisdom? The appropriate application of knowledge. He had no understanding of that. No repentance. Right? You know this, people. They're set on evil. Aaron was trying to explain a way to rationalize yeah, there was a small string or truth weaved into this, right? But many excuses have a string or a lie interweaved. And I, I often say any excuse, you know, with a little bit of truth is still a full lie or a complete lie. However you want to say it, it's still a lie. He says, make us gods that we shall go before us. Aaron quoted the people exactly. But he lied when he described his own actions, didn't he? He said, I cast in the fire and this calf just came out, right? But Moses and everyone else, when they would have picked up that calf, because remember, Moses is going to put it in, he's going to burn it. He picked it up. What do you think he's going to see on it? Remember, it's in a fire. He's molding it with his hands. He's using it. What's he going to see? Fingerprints. It's not God's fingerprints that were written on the tablet that it was God ordained, but it was the fingerprints of who? of man, human fingerprints. Whose fingerprints are in your heart? Whose fingerprints are in your heart? There's always a trail. There's always a trace. Well, it had, you know, his fingerprints all over it like that. And Aaron claimed that it, it was just a miraculous work. But you know what? The evidence of his workmanship was all over it. You couldn't deny it. And did you detect Aaron's excuse? I, I mentioned we'd kind of talk a little bit about this. We all laughed and chuckled like that never happens to us. But probably all of us have used this. Maybe when you were children or maybe now. If we're being real. What was this? Think about school. Think about your parents sitting you down. How could this have happened? What do you mean this happened? Well, it just happened, right? If we never uttered that out of our mouths with our parents. So what do you mean by this? What did you say? Well, I did, it just happened. I mean, and you look, and these children, you know, we did it. We look right at them straight face and they can look right back at you. And it, you know, it's like my dog ate it, right? Like, how does that happen? It just happened. So, you know, you, you 
I could take a whole 30 minutes just to go on to this, but for our time, we'll keep going. But this is, do you see, this is the excuse. And why I brought this up is because we do the same thing today, don't we? It just happened. Where's the accountability? Where's the responsibility? Somebody earlier, I heard him, uh, you know, say out or yell out, hey, that's what happened in the garden with Adam. Yeah, you're right. And what would Adam say? It's a woman. I was working. She came over. I didn't even recognize the fruit. I just ate it. No, I mean, where is the accountability and responsibility? Do people take responsibility for their actions today? I, I, I would argue and suggest that as the work of the world and evil progresses and it grows darker and darker, we'll see less accountability. Now, I'm sure there are some out there that and I, and I believe many in the church still, praise God for that, still do the right thing. Still stand behind it and say, you know what? I blew it. Thank you, Jesus, because you paid it all. And there's true repentance of heart. And praise God for that, because we're not perfect and we're not going to get it right all the time. I thank Jesus that my God is long-suffering. My God, my God doesn't show partiality. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't compromise, but he's gentle, meek, and mild. And if I simply come to him with my sin, he promises to forgive me and to set me right. What more could I want? What more could you want? Any of us here, right? What, what, what need is there to lie like this? There'll be a consequence to this sin. It's going to create one of the largest divisions of the new church in Israel there, this 2.5 million church. It's going to be reduced drastically, because of the lie, because of the excuse, it just happened. No responsibility, no accountability. Remember with me, as I mentioned last week, Moses had a plan, or excuse me, Aaron had a four, you know, four-step plan here, right? Aaron thought it out, he melted the gold, he molded it, and he fashioned it. Specifically in Exodus chapter 32, 4, it says with an engraving tool, right? Aaron's sin was heavy, and I think... If it wasn't for the intercession, I, I believe this, of Moses, as we read last Wednesday, they'd all be dead. Remember, God said, hit the reset button. But Moses reminded God, because it was God's heart, to put it on Moses' heart, to say, hey, what about the covenant you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Right? What about, what about, what about that covenant? Do you remember that? In verse 13 of chapter 32, it says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servant to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken, I will give to your descendants that they shall inherit it forever. God, remember your promises. You're a promise keeper. We just heard uh, Jess tonight as she was closing our prayer for worship as, we were, as I was coming up. She said, God, you're a God of promise. You're a promise keeper. Praise God for that. It didn't just happen. Right? Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 20. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at that same time. It tells us right in the word of God that God was going to destroy Aaron. No doubt about it because of the evil and the waxing of his sin. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, 
Because even at this point when they're coming down and Moses is accusing them, they're still unrestrained. What were they doing? They were dancing, they were praising, and they were engaged in what? Sexual orgies. That's what they were doing here. Right? And I can go through and if you want, sometimes after we can, well, you know what? I'll, I'll spend a little time going through it now. We'll, we'll go through it in a moment. Why I say that's what they were doing. Because the Hebrew and the word tells us that's what they were doing. But this word understand is, itself is the definition of it. But for Aaron had not restrained them to their, to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. So the idea of this verb, this verb there, and you look in your Bible, you can underline, unrestrained, it means to cast off all restraints. It's the loosening or uncovering. That's what it means in the Hebrew. And it would appear, as it's used in the word of God, that this was a type of, as I said, uh, religious prostitution, an orgy that way, connected with the people's worship of the golden calf. Now, this, year, this word is used twice, uh, and it's also used in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, as a warning, right? So I think God is, is very clearly showing us what this was. It was unrestrained, not restrained. It's used two times in this sentence, and God says um, it twice here, I think, to get the point across, of what he was communicating. Obviously, it was very important. It says, and then he goes on to say, but whoever's on the Lord's side, he says, come to me. Moses gave the people of Israel an opportunity to make a stand for the Lord. What's that point out? There's always a choice. Free will. Even in our sin and rejection, we have an opportunity to repent and get right with God. It's never too late. It's never, ever too late, no matter what you've done. At all. Anything. If you come with a contrite, circumcised heart, humble heart to God, and you ask for forgiveness and make and you know receive him as your Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches that he will forgive all your sins. Your sins will be wiped away as far as the east is from the west. That's the great news. Is that not great news? That's the great news. And he says what? He says he'll even give you a new heart. And the ability to follow and keep his covenant, his commandments, his statutes. He'll give you a new mind. The same thing we just read in Jeremiah 31. That's what we all have received as born-again believers. Does that mean there's not a battle? No, there's a battle every day. But we have victory because we can choose sin. That's the difference. We can choose sin or we can choose to walk in the spirit. It's our choice. We're not forced. Sin doesn't have its grip or hold on us anymore. Sin hasn't conquered us in the death because we will die twice, right? Because we're born again. Or sorry, we'll die once because we've been what? Born again twice. Or born twice, I should say. I'm going to get it right here. Forgive me, everyone. Born twice, right? Born once from my mother's womb and then born as John chapter 3 says in Nicodemus. Born again of the spirit. But if you're only born once, you're going to die twice. Right? You see, what we learn here is that through this choice, we can return from any rebellion or in any backsliding. I mean, look at the Levites. You know, to their honor this way, they sided with the Lord, with Moses. 
Sadly, only this, out of all the tribes there, this is the only tribe that was significant, that only tribe that came forth and clearly stood with God. And again, as I said, this tells us that no matter what circumstance, we have a choice. You know, and, and what I love about this is I love God's plan compared to Aaron's plan. Remember Aaron's plan, four steps? What's God's plan? Well, look, look what God says, right? He requires the attention of the believer. It's, it's not just enough to acknowledge. No, there has to be one, a clear intent. Two, action followed. And three, and most, I would say as significantly, and not most, but just as significantly or just as important, absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. So we read in verse 27 through 29, there are consequences to sin. This isn't popular. People don't like this. But I would suggest to you, if somebody broke in your house and they were going to harm your child, harm your wife, harm your husband, would you not stand up and defend your home to protect your wife, husband, and or children? And would you not be right in doing so? You would. God never says that you're not to defend your family that way, your loved ones. He never said not to do that. You're not to go out aggressively and hurt people. God clearly says that too. God's the author of love, right? We're not, we're not extremists in that way. We're not, we're not um, terrorists, if I can say it that way. He hasn't called us to be that. And the reason I bring that up is because people inevitably come to this passage in the Bible, not with the correct exegesis, not with the correct understanding of what's going on. And they say, you see, this is a God that would murder 3,000 people. This is a God, I, I would never serve a God like that. And it's easy to see that if you don't back up in the context and see that God through Moses said, where do you stand? Are you with Moses? Are you with God? Or are you going to be against God? And ultimately, there's a consequence to that. And for anybody here tonight that would say, well, that's a pretty harsh consequence. If so, I'll say it again. If somebody broke into your house and they were going to murder or hurt your family, would you not do whatever it took to defend them? And or yet, if you called the police, would you not want them to be arrested? Would there not be a consequence? Even if they said, I'm so sorry that I just murdered your wife or your child or your husband, you know, heaven forbid, I'm so sorry that happened. You, you would forgive them as you're called to in Christ. Very difficult, but commanded nonetheless. You, you do that, but then what? Well, okay, just, you know, you know give, give them, you know, let them walk around the block. You know, I think it's what they do in school now. Run around in a circle, run around in a circle. You know, what's the consequence, right? No. There's a consequence to sin. You're going to jail, right? You're going to go to jail. Is that wrong? I don't think anybody in here would sit there and go, you know what? I think that's wrong there's a consequence to sin, right? If somebody came in and stole something you had in your house from your property and then walked out and said, well, hey, thanks a lot, man. No, come back and put it back, right? And even hook it up, especially if it's that audio video thing. Until my son gets home, I can't watch. Put it together for me, right? You unhooked it, hook it back, right? Come back in. Some of you are going, yeah, I, I know what you mean, right? But you wouldn't turn around and say, oh, yeah, you know, there's no consequences. No, because without civil law, you have what? Anarchy, chaos, right? We, we understand this. So why, when people get to this passage, if we're in the context, do we not approach it the same way? Because deep side, down inside, every one of us wants absolutes. If somebody wrongs us, we want it to be made right. Amen? We want it to be made right. 
Verse 27 here through 29. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out of the entrance to, uh, to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, consecrate yourself, cleanse yourself today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man who has opposed his son and his brother. I got to imagine that had to be difficult. This is Israel from the tribes. They were together. But you got to take a stand. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. The Bible says that. You may believe that you're strong enough to do that. I want to tell you, friend, you're not. The Bible says you're not. Jesus said you're not. This is heavy. But the sin of idolatry needed to stop. God has a plan for Israel. They were to be the witnesses of the nations. There are consequences to sin. God demonstrated real love here in weighing out justice for those who choose not to follow. God gave this command. It, it was not something that man decided. This wasn't something that Moses or, or, or the Levites got carried away. No, this was something God had done. It's, it's not a terrorist act. I, I just keep pointing that out because I've, I've heard so many people today, well, this is an example of Christian terrorism. No, no, it's not. This is justice. As I mentioned, if somebody harmed your wife or your, it's amazing. If you, if you go there, well, that's different, but it's not. God's a righteous judge. And without Jesus Christ, sin leads to death. Because Why do we know that? Because Romans 3.23 and 6.23 tell us what? The wages of sin is death. And that's the word of God. It's the king in the kingdom. It's not the democracy of heaven. It's not the republic of heaven. We don't get a vote. And you know what I love about that? Is there's no persuasion there. There's no way to persuade God that way. Well, God's not a respect, you know, you're rich, you're poor, you're this, you're that, you're of this ethnicity, you're of that. None of that matters. Do you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Is he your Lord and Savior? Amen. If, if he is, your sin is wiped away. And that's, it's that simple. But if you, if you choose, and remember, they had a choice. It wasn't something he just even carried out. They were given a choice, another choice, you might say. Not only a choice of whether they were going to, take that molten calf and make it like that through Aaron and, and prodding him. But they also were given a choice to repent and they willingly said no. Now remember, these are not men that are, or women that are ill-educated. They stood before Mount Sinai and heard God speak to them and he verbally gave them the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. They know God's real. This isn't a question of, is there a real God? You know, I'm somewhere torn in the middle. No, they know this is rebellion. This is sin. That's the issue here. And I think it's important because when we can, and, and again, I'm going to say it's real perfect love. When we can do that, hearts are set free. Because that day, while a church of 2.5 million Right? While it was reduced by 3,000, and I'm not, look, if you're one of the 3,000, that's a big deal, right? But when you take the overall numbers, was God not right to have destroyed them all? Would he have been wrong when he was up on Mount Sinai and he was talking to Moses? Would he have been wrong to do that? No, they, they broke covenant. 
They broke covenant. They, he could have wiped them all out. And Moses, through intercessory prayer, you know, pleaded with God not to. And because God is a, a God of forgiveness, he's a God of second, third, and umpteen chances, he wants to forgive. He desires to forgive. He's just looking for a heart willing to repent. That's what he wants. I mean, but it's heavy, right? You know, today there's consequences, right? The consequences of not receiving Jesus in this life. If an unbeliever is found guilty of their sin, when they meet Jesus, because everybody's going to meet Jesus, well, we've already talked about it. The judgment for sin in the Bible teaches eternal separation from God in a place of torment forever and ever with gnashing of teeth called hell. But it's not God's desire that anybody would go there. It's God's desire that everybody would come home to heaven to be with him in right relationship. What more could anybody want from God? He sent his only begotten son that he would die to redeem humanity to him. What more could God do or want? He's not only provided a, a, a propitiation, a substitute, but he's also turned around and he, and he, and he you know, basically said, look, whatever you've done, past, present, future, if you, if you receive my son and you believe and you surrender your life, you're mine and I'm yours. And all's forgiven, not covered, but completely obliterated like it never, ever happened. I mean, really, logically, what more would we or could we ever want a loving God of the universe to do? Our prayer needs to be for that broken heart out there that's choosing rebellion over a loving God. It doesn't make sense, does it? And I bet 40 days and 40 nights ago, it didn't make sense to Israel either. We need that constant presence with God. We need that constant washing. Turn in your Bibles, hold your finger here, turn to Revelation chapter 20. You know, I pray somebody hears this tonight that's been struggling with this and wondering why. And that they can, they can know that they know that God does love them and God desires that they'll come home. And he sent his only son. Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 11. This talks about the great white throne judgment. We'll be back with Christ when we return in the millennial reign with him, but we will be there for this. Not in the judgment, right? Well, we already will have gone to the Bema seat judgment but we'll be there. We just will be with Christ on the side there, so to speak. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was opened as the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in that book. Every person has deeds recorded in that book. Everything you've ever done is recorded in that book, good, bad, and different. 
The difference is, under everyone's name or to the side or however you'd like to say it, for those that are believers in Christ, it says sealed by the blood of the Lamb. For everyone else, it says nothing. And when you stand before the living God and you have to try to defend your sin, you will have nothing. There will be no excuse. There'll be no, well, I did it my way. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And it will be a great day of humbling for many. But God doesn't desire that. I think it's also important to point out that it's through the hardness of man's heart and a shared disobedience that leads to this. But it can be preempted. It can be prevented. Again, Moses wasn't part of this. Joshua wasn't part of this, were they? Where were they? In the presence of God. David, when he was home from battle, sitting on his rooftop, looking across, admiring a woman that he shouldn't be seeing, because where should he have been in battle? He wasn't in the will of God, and it led him into sin because of the weakness and the temptation of his own heart. Friends, we have a choice. Every single thing we do matters. Every thought we have matters. Where are we spending our time? What are we looking at? Are we looking at filth on the computer? Throw the thing out. You don't need it. There's other ways to get your job done. Take out with a pen and paper. How about that, huh? You can still do math. Right? We got a mathematician in here. He'll show you how. He calculates everything. He knows how to do it all. And he can use pen and paper to do it. You know, people used to come up. Pastor Bill used to say, I still love it. He says, you know, people would come up and they'd say, oh, I got this great PowerPoint. He says, I'll show you how to point you to the power. <laughs> and he opened the Bible. Love Pastor Bill. He said it like it was. Mm. I pray that if, if, if you're hearing this tonight, and maybe somebody on the audio recording will hear this or the radio, or maybe somebody here from an apologetic perspective tonight, you're hearing this and you're taking notes. Maybe you're going to walk into, run into somebody this way. Maybe even tomorrow. Who knows what God will do? Coincidentally, of course. And you hear somebody call themselves an atheist or an agnostic, something similar. Gently and lovingly ask them why they call themselves that. I think a better term is rebel. You know, just call yourself a rebel. If that's what you are, call yourself a rebel, right? Engaged in a rebellion against the living God. Isn't that, isn't that what we're, we're dealing with here? Again, let me plead the blood of Christ with the person that would hear this. That you'd lay down your hurt, your hurt, maybe even your anger. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you hate him. Maybe you hate all the things he stands for, good and righteous, because he took something from you. Maybe your mom, maybe your child, maybe your loved one, and 
maybe your freedom, maybe something else. You believe that he personally tried to harm you. Well, he was separated from his son and he allowed his son to die the most painful and horrible death as a God. I mean, he's God. Would any of us do that or allow that for our children? And most parents in here would say, no way. Could I watch that? Especially if I'm God and I could stop it in a second. He desires as the creator of the universe to spend eternity with you. In a perfect relationship. And if you want to see proof of that, I'd encourage you, talk to a Christian, talk to a friend, maybe talk to somebody from this fellowship. We're Jesus freaks. We carry our Bibles everywhere. And we don't make excuses for it. Because we love them. But open your Bible and turn to chapter 32 and you can look right at the verse of really 30 there. And it said, Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. What's this point out? That even in spite of the consequence of the sin, Moses didn't have a hard heart. Moses was after reconciliation. And Moses is bearing God's heart. The living God is after reconciliation. Moses had already interceded for the people, didn't he? In Exodus chapter 32, verses 11 through 14, he had already interceded for them. What's he doing here? But he prayed for them again because he had saw the sin with his own eyes. What's our calling to do? You know, we hear about sin, we hear about people in need, and we intercede for them. But then when we see it for ourselves, does that not move us to pray again? The Bible tells us pray without ceasing. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. You see, we look back. They're looking forward. Jesus did that very thing for us. He paid for our sin. He paid for the sin for the whole universe, the whole earth that way. It's just yours for the taking. Who doesn't want a good gift? Hmm. Exodus chapter 22, 20 said, he who sacrifices to any God except the Lord only, he shall be destroyed. God forewarned them. And we learn something about the man Moses here. The character of a shepherd is love. And it's a broken heart for the people. Hopefully when you come here every Wednesday and Sunday or during the week, you see a, a broken under shepherd's heart. That's the difference between a, ta a teacher and a pastor. Both do Bible exposition. But a pastor is knit intimately to the people he's called to serve. He loves them. Just as I love you. Just as I would give up my life and do anything I could for you. And any one of you that know me, that been here any time a, a length, you know that's true. That's sacrificial love. 
And you know who the author of all sacrificial love is? Jesus. Let's stand and pray. We'll pick up with verses 31 and 32, and we'll close that chapter here in four verses. We could have spent another five minutes and, and covered that. Actually, what do you guys say? You want to take another five minutes and close it out? Close the chapter? All right, sit down. We'll close it out, huh? We only got a few verses here. Then Moses returned to the... See that? I'm spirit-led, man. I'm spirit-driven. I don't got a plan. No. <laughs> the Moses returned to the Lord, and he said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Oh, I love you. I don't know if I could say that. I could say a lot of things. I'll die. But man, eternity separated from God. I read, I read of another person in the New Testament that said that very same thing. The apostle Paul. That's what it looks like, friends. Moses didn't minimize the sin the way Aaron did, did he? He didn't make excuses. They were, they were guilty of worshiping, worshiping a gold, a God of gold. You know, real leadership. You see the difference there between Aaron and Moses? Real leadership. Moses asked for forgiveness and there was an appeal to the mercy and grace of God. And he says, if not, you know, Moses said, God, if you, please forgive Israel on the basis of uh, sacrificial identification with the sinful people. He says, I'm sinful. That's what Moses was saying. If not, blot me out. And if you won't forgive them, then I deserve the same consequence because God, you called me to serve them. Identification with the people. Another thing that we look at in an under-shepherd. Again, I love you all. I don't know that I can honestly say I would do this or I could do this. I won't ever pretend. I love Jesus. But you know what? God would never ask me to do that. Right? Because he did it already in Jesus through his son. The ultimate sacrificial heart was Jesus dying for our sins. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 and the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit for punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they had done with the calf, which Aaron had made. Now, we'll pick this up in chapter 33, but... We learn here from this passage, God reserves the right to judge individual sinners, doesn't he? And he also tells us that this was God's promise to stay faithful to Israel, that if he would stay faithful in their presence, that what? He says, my angel shall go before you. For Moses, this won't be good enough. Moses will go, look, I appreciate the angel, but I want your presence, God. He had that kind of a relationship but this specific judgment hadn't been pronounced yet. But, but God knew it would happen when he was up there giving Moses the pattern. He knew all this was going to happen. And yet, did it stop a loving God? No, it didn't. And it said he plagued the people, speaking of the death of the 3,000 already mentioned. 
Everyone here has to make a choice every moment of your life. What will you do? And by the way, I don't want to condemn anybody here. That's not my job. I'm not browbeating anybody. If anybody feels like, man, you were just dragged over to Coles tonight, you don't know what, that's not my job. Every one of us in this room falls short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned and is sinning probably, and maybe not at this moment, praise God, but everyone, you better not be, no, but every one of us, when we get out of here, some T minus five seconds, some T minus an hour, if you're, you know, perfected that way, like, you know, Paul, but the reality is that we'll probably be overcome by some temptation or sin or lust for our eyes or whatever. I want you to walk out of here encouraged because you're coming to meet with the living God. You're coming because you want to be renewed, because you want to be transformed. You may start, struggle with anxiety, depression. You may struggle with pornography. You may have a, you know, impure thoughts. You may have all these things. You know what? A sin is a sin. No sin is worse than any other sin. You jaywalk today, you sin. You're just as bad as somebody. I mean, a sin is a sin. And the whole point is that it creates separation between God and I, you and God. Sin is sin. The idea is that we don't want to be conquered by sin. We're conquerors of sin. So when we walk out of here tonight, let's talk to the living God and say, God, I got the message. I got it, Lord. I need to run everything through the grid and through scripture to find out what is good, what is true, what is profitable, what is righteousness. What is righteous that way? That it will produce good works in me. That I will grow more like you, Jesus. In faith, deepening my walk until the perfecting which Jesus we know won't happen until we're with you face to face. But we're going to work towards it because that's our aim. Amen? Stand and let's be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Let's be encouraged. Jenny, Jess, we started this whole teaching here about worship. Let's walk out of here tonight. Lead worshiper, not worship leaders, but lead worshipers full of praise Let's not touch the glory of God. Let's give everything to him. Amen? And then they'll close us in prayer. Come on up. What song you got for us? Give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart. Right? That sounds good. Let's do that.
bow. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols and give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands and give us your hearts let us not lift our souls to another and God let us be a generation that seeks seeks your face oh God of Jacob and God let us be a generation Thank you for this reminder, Lord, and we know that we're covered by the blood of your son, Lord, but God, we're just like, we're just like those people, the people of Israel, Lord, I mean, one second we're, we're walking with you, Lord, and, and we think we've got it together, and then the next step we're stumbling, Lord, so thank you for your grace, Lord, thank you that you love us in spite of ourselves, Lord, and just help us and guide us, Lord. Direct us through your spirit, Lord, as we as we go about our days, Lord. Help us never to stray from you, Lord. Just constantly to be to be seeking you out, Lord. And um, God, I just I thank you that that's what you want for us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, everyone. <laughs>